Jude, verse 1, says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. I like that word preserved. You know, the Calvinists talk about the perseverance of the saints. You know, we don't persevere, we're preserved. And that's an act of God. We're preserved in Him. Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight we're going to talk about um, church attendance, faithfulness to the assembly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. Thank you for the testimonies of your people and how you're working in their lives and the blessing that you are to us. And, and Father, the things that you protect us from that many times we may not even be aware of and we thank you that uh, because of Christ, our Lord and Savior, we can have assurance and victory in Him and confidence. Uh, though wickedness is prevalent in our world, yet we can have the confidence in Him. Uh, we have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you'd encourage us and challenge us from the Word of God again tonight. Help us to see the importance of faithfulness in the assembly and time in your Word. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I talked a little bit about this morning about um, being a soldier for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul referred to Epaphroditus as a fellow soldier, one who is willing to enter the conflicts, the spiritual battles uh, in the ministry, in, in, in ministering to God's people, willing to risk his, himself uh, for the cause of Christ, willing to risk being hurt, wounded, uh, you know, even even uh, um, uh, you know, having others depart, losing friendships and fellowships with certain people, willing to risk that for the truth. And 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 here in the book of Jude, as and I was thinking about, what we're, I'm going to start the series on on standards again and go through our standard sheet somewhat, you know. Standards are not an end of themselves, but standards are to reflect and project the holiness of God. And you know the reason we see this apostasy, which Jude here talks about and describes in, in this book of Jude, everywhere is there's a departure from the truth. You know, I mentioned this morning that you know, and I was I remember this years ago I was at a pastor's fellowship and there was a uh, an evangelistic team there that one of the churches in the area had. And, and I remember this over and over again. They, they said, you know, keep the main thing, the main thing. You know, you need to preach the gospel. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Salvation was the main thing. You know, if you would listen to them, you know, that's, that's what you would, you know, and, and a lot of people just have this idea, preachers have this idea, churches have this idea that we need to preach the salvation every Sunday, every service, every Wednesday night. Well, that's not what the Bible says. You know, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 
18 through 20, the Bible gives, the Lord gives clear instructions unto what our mandate is. And it says, As Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. So, so that would be your teach the doctrines of salvation, and then to baptize those that are converted. But then it, it doesn't stop there. Then he goes on and says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So we're to teach them to observe all things. Things that pertain or that go along with salvation. That's practical Christian living. You know, God is a holy God, and God wants His people to live holy lives. God wants them to live lives that, that glorify and honor Him. And, you know, you know, I heard preachers say that years ago you would preach standards, now say, for example, dress or music, they'd say that's a dead issue. It's a dead issue. Or they don't preach on it anymore. They don't teach it anymore. Because their people don't do it. Or if they did, they'd leave. I remember one pastor saying one time, you get what you expect. You get what you expect. You know, from your children, if you don't have any expectations for them, nothing that you're expecting or nothing that you're requiring of them, that's what you'll get. Nothing. You won't get obedience. You won't get a work ethic. Uh, you won't get manners. If you don't expect any of those things, then if, you know, if you expect those things, you're going to teach them and instruct them in those things. But if you don't expect that, those kind of things, it won't happen. The same is true in churches. You know, we need to, you know, we need to, you know, God expects His people to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in the maturity. Uh, and we see this, we're living in a day of a great falling away. You know, it's alarming to me, uh, you know, some of the stuff I see going on in churches. And, uh, you know, Timothy, in Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, Paul described, says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heat themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away from the ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Or, you know, or made up stories. You know, uh, uh, you know, we're to, we're to, and, and we're to preach the word instant, in season, out of season. You know, that, that really means, you know, I believe that whether it's, whether it's pleasant to the people or whether it's not pleasant. If it's the word of God, it's to be taught. It's to be taught. Reprove. And rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And so, you know, back in the way over here, I uh, just briefly looked at my emails since I wasn't driving, and um, I saw this in the, the headline was something about a racist prayer book. Uh, how, how far are these people going to go? Okay. And it's called, it's, there's a modern prayer book called A Rhythm of Prayer by Sarah Bessie. It's on sale through Target and Amazon. 
and contains chapters authorized by, authored by various people, this devotional has been surprising readers with a foul-tempered racist rant. One chapter titled, Prayer of a Weary Black Woman, begins, quote, Dear God, please help me to hate white people, unquote. And then it goes on, it says, that's followed by a scream of demented hatred almost four pages long. And it ends with a bio of the author, who is allegedly a psychologist, ecumenical minister, and womanist theologian. She's obviously very racist also. Yeah, this is, this is a, they call it a prayer book. Uh, and, you know, how do you get to there? How do you get to there? You know, apostasy is a gradual departure. It doesn't happen overnight. We all, you, know, you could use the illustration of Sam, Samson. You know, how did Samson get to having being bound and having his eyes gouged out? How did he get there? It just didn't happen overnight. It was a process of his rebellion and his his lack of honor for the things of God. In other words, you know, the Bible says that we're not to despise preaching. In other words, we're not to think of it as of little value. Samson considered his vow of little value. And that's how he ended up with his eyes, eyes guided at. And bound in a prison house. Working like an ox. So, you st- and, and your biblical standards are, are what they are is practical Christian doctrine. And the sad thing is, 30, 40 years ago, this kind of stuff was taught in every independent Baptist church in America. Every fundamental church in America taught these things. I remember when we were in Maine, I preached a message on dress. And this older lady, she came out through, she said, I've heard that kind of preaching 50 years ago. See, this was common. But now, now many won't touch it. They won't touch it. And you see, they're not willing to fight the good fight of faith. You know, Paul tells us, in, 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 again there in Second Timothy 4, uh, he tells Timothy, he says in verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered, the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Paul's telling Timothy, look, I fought to uphold the truths of the Word of God. Well, even when Peter, you know, uh, uh, separated himself and didn't walk uprightly, I even rebuked Peter. I was willing to fight for the truth. You know, that's risky. That would been risky for Paul. Say, Peter, you're not working according to the law of Christ. I'm after all, Peter was an apostle as Paul was. He also had been the pastor at First Baptist Church in Jerusalem. So to rebuke Peter was, was, you know, took some some guts. But Paul said, you don't walk upright, you're not walking uprightly. And he rebuked him before them all. 
So he said, I have fought a good fight. You know, he continually fought with the Judaizers and, and, and so on, those who tried to, to, to corrupt the, the gospel. And, and in verse uh, uh, 8 he says, I Henceforth are laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me in that day, not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse uh, <clears throat> verse 11 he says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Somebody said that word flee there means to run away from, like you'd run away from a grizzly bear with cubs. You don't want to be around a bear with cubs. That's dangerous. So, so you run away from that. And he says, and, and you follow after these things. Then he says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. And so Jude tells us that we need to earnestly contend for the faith. We need to contend and earnestly contend, struggle in defense of the truths of the Word of God that have been handed down to us that that Baptist churches like ours have practiced for years. Luke 18, I think it's verse 8. Jesus made this statement, Nevertheless, when a son of man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Shall he find faith? When he comes, shall he find faith? It's a question. You know, will he find churches that hold to the truths of the Word of God? Hold to practical Christian living? You know, I was talking to an elderly man here in Lowe's uh, probably six months ago. And uh, we often talk spiritual things and and uh, he attends another church not too far from here. And he, and he said, uh, he said nobody practices church discipline anymore. I said, yeah. Not very many. Not many. It's few. And I believe that's a mark of a true church, New Testament church, is they will practice church discipline. It's, it's taught in the Scriptures. But, you know, as we set the 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 the, the uh, uh, stage for this, the, what I want to really get at tonight is, as we, as we consider uh, standards, and that is, we ought to regularly attend all church services unless providentially hindered. You know, church attendance is vitally important. Uh, you know, and I want to read part of our church covenant. Uh, and it says, uh, Moreover, we covenant to watch over one another in brotherly love, to not forsake the assembling ourselves is, to remember one another in prayer, to aid one another in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian love, kindness, and tenderheartedness toward one another, to exhort one another unto good works, to demonstrate Christian courtesy in speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation, being mindful of the command of our Savior to secure it without delay. Furthermore, we acknowledge this covenant is not just a ceremonial statement, but a binding agreement upon those who join this church, and that failure to keep the covenant is grounds for disciplinary action or removal from the church membership. So our covenant establishes that we are to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the man of some is. Many have.
uh, I'm sorry, but Zoom is not assembling together. It's not assembling together. And so, you know, church attendance is invaluable. It is vitally important. 1 Timothy 3.15 tells us that we ought to know how to behave ourselves in the church of the living God. The pillar and ground of the truth. It is the house of God. And so there ought to be a priority to public worship in the house of God. Uh, Psalm 111, verse 1 says, Praise ye the Lord, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart, in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. Look over to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verses uh, uh, 19. Starting at verse 19, Jeremiah 17, verse 19 says this, Thus saith the Lord unto me, Go and stand in the gate of the children of the people, whereby the kings of Judah come in, and by the, the which way they go out, and all the gates of Jerusalem, and say unto them, Hear ye the word of the Lord, ye kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem that enter in by these gates. Thus saith the Lord, Take heed yourselves, and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Neither carry forth a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, neither do you any work, but hallow ye the Sabbath day, as I commanded your fathers. But they obeyed not, neither inclined their ear, but made their necks stiff, that they might not hear nor receive instruction. And it shall come to pass, if you diligently hearken unto me, saith the Lord, to bring in no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hallow, hallow the Sabbath day, to do no work therein, then shall there enter into the gates of this city kings and princes sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this city shall remain forever. And they shall come from the cities of Judah and from the places about Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin and from the plain, from the mountains and from the south, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices and meat offerings and incense, bringing sacrifices of praise unto the house of the Lord. But if you will not hearken unto me to hallow the Sabbath day, and not to bear a burden, even entering in at the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then will I kindle a fire in the gates thereof, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. See, God is saying to Israel, look, I've given you a day, a day of the week that you are to set aside to worship me. To worship me. To assemble together and bring your sacrifices and to worship me. And we have the Lord's Day has been set aside as a day of worship. To meet together. To encourage and challenge and, and strengthen one another in our walk with the Lord. And it is vitally important. You know, the Lord's Day should not just be another day. It should be the day that the most important thing that you consider in that day is your worship of God in the house of God. You know, I believe, it's my opinion, that part of these things is to destroy the assembling of God's people. These lockdowns and these mandates. You know, Lester Roloff said years ago that Robert Engels all, all said that, you know, if we're going to destroy these Christians, the first thing we got to do is get rid of this Lord's Day. You see, the world wants to make the Lord's Day just another day, just like every other one. 
No, it's a day that God has given us to worship Him. That ought to be the preeminent thing on the Lord's day. Preeminent thing. You know, so, you know Jude or, or Jer, uh, Jeremiah, God here getting Jeremiah gives us an, an example of setting a day aside for worship. Where we can seek Him. You know, this demonstrates what we value. You know, there are, the idea that Jerusalem or the Jews or Judah had a day set aside gave evidence that they honored the Lord. That He was preeminent. That they were willing to set a day aside for worship for Him. Whereas Hebrews 10, 12, 25 tells us not to forsake the assembling together as the manner of some is. And so, you know, in uh, Exodus 31, we have the example, even the Lord did this, Exodus 31, 17. He says, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And so even the Lord, he, he, he said he gave it a sign to the children of Israel that he rested the seventh day. And we need to have that day set aside for the worship of the Lord. It is a day set aside for the sanctification of the preaching of God's word. You know, we need to give a, again, it demonstrates that we give importance, uh, or honor to the preaching of God's word and teaching of God's word. You know, John 10, 7, or 17, 17 says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We are sanctified. We are set apart. We grow by learning the truth, hearing the truth over and over again. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, the Bible says in Romans 10, 17. So growth comes through hearing the preaching of the word of God. And, and there's to be, you know, sound doctrine is to be taught consistently. You know, 1 Corinthians 1, 21 says, For that after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. But he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification. You know, and you, you know, the word prophesy means preaching. He that preacheth speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. You know, to edify means to build. To build up. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verses uh, 11. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, verses 11, says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting, and again, that word perfecting means, you know, like the growth or maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building or the growth of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. So, so you know, Preaching of the Word of God ought to bring us closer in belief. You know, we all grow up and are taught certain things and learn certain things that we think are right. Well, when we get saved, we have a new source of truth. And actually, the, for the first time in life, a real source of truth. That's all true. And so... Now we begin to learn things that are right and to think like God. And as we continue to learn and think 
more and more like God, it will bring greater and greater unity into the body of Christ. Because we become like-minded like Timothy and Paul. So till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, there's that word perfect again, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Again, speaks of, of, of growth maturity, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You know, the devil has, 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 uh, uh, has his uh, workers out there looking to deceive and sidetrack Christians. He's lying in wait to deceive. And they're very crafty and very cunning. They will come at you as scholarly. And, 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 you know, and, and, and they will lead astray those that are not sound in the scriptures. But the, verse 15 says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, make the increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And so, so, you know, preaching and teaching the word of God, assembling together is for the preaching and teaching of the word of God, that we might grow up, that we might be edified uh, in, in our walk with the Lord, uh, grow into full maturity that, that, that we know what the truth is. We're not led astray by false teachers. And, 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 and we are confident in our walk with the Lord. And again, this comes through preaching. You know, Titus, in Titus, uh, chapter one, Titus chapter one, and, and verses one through three, Bible says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God, our savior. So he says, God has manifested in due times. He's manifested his word through preaching. Through preaching. In Nehemiah uh, 8, verse 8, the Bible says this. So they read in the book of the law God distinctly. They gave the sense. In other words, they gave the interpretation. So they read it. Then they gave an interpretation. And then it says, and caused them to understand the reading. So they read the word of God distinctly, and then they gave an interpretation of the Word of God, and then they said, here's how it applies. See, a lot of churches, too often what's happening is that they're, 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 they're preaching the Word of God, some of it, a salvation, but they never get into how salvation applies to everyday life. How it should affect your life. Your conduct. You know, Paul spends 11 chapters of the book of Romans talking about Bible doctrine. The great doctrines of the faith. Then he gets to chapter 12 and then he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. 
holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he's talking now about, hey, this is how it ought to affect your everyday life. You are a new creature in Christ. You ought to live governed by the word of God, not by the world. And, and we call those Bible standards. They don't save us, but they, what they are given to for is to, they instruct us how we ought to live pleasing to the Lord. Pleasing to the Lord. And so, you know, we need to give heed to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 20 says this, Despise not prophesy. Despise not prophesy. Bob Mitchell, Pastor Bob Mitchell, Sr., wrote a little article about that. And he says, and I'll read, and I'll read parts of it, it says, Quote, it's interesting that the opposite of despise not would be to highly honor. So we are to esteem preaching. That is, we are to highly regard preaching. That's what the Bible says. We're to place a premium on Bible preaching as we regard it with pleasure and not with contempt. The world regards preaching with contempt. Lost people despise preaching. Don't preach to me is their mantra. He's too preachy, they say. The very word preach and the activity of preaching, especially the preaching of the gospel of Christ, is despised by the world. And they might say, oh, ho, hum, yay, whatever, I'm all set. But the idea of not despising prophesying would be the discourses or sermons from the sacred scripture which declare the purposes of God by warning sinners, comforting the afflicted, expanding future events, reproving, rebuking, and exhorting saints. So the reference is to preaching in the church at Thessalonica and subsequently every New Testament church of the Lord Jesus is cautioned not to undervalue preaching. And then it gives some things that way you show value for preaching. Number one, be respectful. By this I mean we ought to be well-mannered and reverent during the services. After all, we are in the house of God, the church of the living God. The church service is a serious time. It is a time when we as a church meet with God and when we meet with God, you sure don't want to be snoozing. So you ought to be rested as much as possible when you come to the assemble. And in my opinion, you shouldn't be sipping on coffee or Coke or snacking on food, chewing on gum, texting, cracking your fingers, and clipping your nails. Now you might say, who would clip her nails? I can tell you an example of clipping nails during church. And there was evidence on the floor after he left. That's despising prophesy. We need to show God respect by well-mannered and reverent during each service. Be thoughtful. If we are to augment and compliment the preaching and not diminish or detract from it, then we will be thoughtful of the preacher. Don't do things that will distract the preacher. best way to be thoughtful of the preacher is by everyone giving him your undivided attention and by men expressing their agreement with him by saying amen when it's appropriate. I've been in churches that they've said amen when it was not appropriate. I remember there's a little, a young boy, I think he was 12 or 13, in a church in Maine. And he was constantly saying, that's right, that's right, amen, that's right, that's right. You know, almost like he was an auctioneer. 
Well, they had a they had an evangelist in one day, and he he's preaching away, and he said something that you should not have said all right, uh, amen or that's right to, and he did, and he called him out on it. He said, "You're just here for a show." That's all it was. It was a show. And he shut him up. See, when it's appropriate, it's not always appropriate. You know, we should listen to Bible preaching as if we're listening to the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm not saying the preacher is the same status as the Lord, but I am saying that when he is preaching the Word of God, we should direct our thoughts and attention to what is being said as if the Lord were saying it. If we do not deem preaching as of utmost importance and listen carefully to it with the hearts willing to submit, then we won't get anything from it. Be thoughtful of the message. Be thoughtful of others. Again, you know, don't be distractive and, 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 uh, of, of others. So, uh, and he, and he gives an illustration. He says, some years ago, I was preaching. I heard a clicking noise and noticed that several people were distracted. Finally, I struck me. Someone was clipping their fingernails. Without even thinking, I blurted out, who is clipping your fingernails? I'm sure that woman was embarrassed. Didn't mean to embarrass her, but then again, perhaps someone so insensitive to others and so disrespectful of the preaching needs to be embarrassed. And, you know, I, I, I heard a preacher one time, I was listening to him, he was on, it was on tape, and he was telling the story, he was an evangelist visiting this church, and he was told the story about this pastor's wife who would knit during the service. I mean, she sat there in the first or second pew and knit during the service. And so finally, one night, he's preaching along, and he, he noticed her, and so he walked out in front of her while he's preaching, and, and clapped his hands like that, and, and the, the, the knitting went up in the air, and she's, she's, uh, you know, scared to death. She, she didn't even realize where he was. And she admitted, you know, I didn't realize how distracted I was. She thought she could knit and listen at the same time. No, we ought to give the most utmost attention to the preaching of the Word of God. And the Word of God needs to be preached. All of it. Not the parts we like and stay away from the parts we dislike. I remember Don Green. I don't know if he's still living, but he was an, he's an old preacher for many years. Some of you may have heard of him. I remember saying one time, you know, that 75% of this book is against you. There's a reason why the world doesn't like it. And the re- there's a reason why you get rubbed the wrong way sometimes. Because there's, there's a lot of things in this, this Bible that's against you. It goes against your human nature. And so it ruffles our feathers. But we need those things. Paul told the church, the, the, the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, and I, uh, that he said he shunned not to declare all the counsel of God. He taught it all. He taught them the doctrines of salvation. Then he taught them to observe all things. You know, read through the book of Corinthians and he, he corrects them and, and challenges them over and over of the ungodliness that, that, they're, that is prevalent in their church that they need to correct so that they can please the Lord. You know, the testimony of the church at Thessalonica was in First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, 
which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Your Proverbs twenty seven seventeen says, Iron sharpeneth iron. So man sharpeneth the counsel of his friend. You know, when we assemble together and we sit and listen, whether we whether we are teaching or whether you are listening, what's happening is we are sharpening each other. You know, every woodcutter, every once in a while, you know, he would st- stop and sharpen his axe. Or in today's world, you have to stop and sharpen the saw. You have to sharpen it because it gets dull with use. You know, when we ride in the world, we, we, we spend time out in the world, and the world starts to wear on us, and, and, and if, we, if we don't have consistently attending and, and a priority uh, you know, sometime in the week for the Word of God, we're going to get dull, just like that saw. And so we need to assemble together to be sharpened. You know, that's what Hebrews 10 is really all about. Go over to Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I see the times fleeing me, but I am about finished. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse uh, 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he hath faithful that promise. Let us consider one another to provoke. That word provoke means to stir, to stir up. To provoke unto, unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For... If we sin willfully, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. You know, it is a willful sin against God to forsake the assembly together of God. And there is no other way, just as there's no other sacrifice that can atone for your sin other than the blood of Jesus Christ, there's no other way that you're going to be provoked unto love and good works except by assembling together with God's people. That's what God has given us. That's His program. That's His plan. And so that's why we assemble together. That's why it's, you know, the the, the devastation to God's people, this whole pandemic is, is going to be great because of this not assembling together. Some of it is, that's just, I think it shows a lot of them for who they really are. They're not, they're not truly born again. Some of them don't seem to care. But you know, people, we are social critters. And we need fellowship. We need fellowship, not only just for the companionship, but also to be challenged and encouraged. And growth. In our walk with the Lord. And to not do so is to sin willfully. Sin willfully. And it'll bring judgment upon one who forsakes the assembly of God God together. And so, you know, church attendance, 
is vitally important. It's vitally important. And, and you know, uh, we need to deem the preaching of God words, God's Word as preeminent. To honor it. It is for our good, for our growth, for our edification, for our benefit. It sharpens us so that when we go out there in the world, we better understand the truths of the Word of God and how they apply to life and are therefore better equipped to be a witness and testimony for the Lord. So the, the priority, priority of church attendance. 